some beats none. It adds up when I like I'm a struggling perfectionist and a perfectionist would rather get a zero than a C minus. It's a really weird thing. But what happens is a perfectionist will go, John, I want to run three miles a day, but I only have time for two today. So I'm going to do none. And you go, well, you know, two is more than none, but it's less than what they wanted. So they won't even do it. I, some beat none is one of those where I'm like, no, the little things add up, the little things add up. Some beats none, some beats none. Like calling one client is better than no clients. Like, did I want 10? I did, dude. I wanted to call 10, but that might not have been realistic. It might not have been what I had in me that day. I think about it like this, like I'm a natural pessimistic, jaded, cynical person, but I've tested positivity and I've tested negativity and the ROI of positivity is so much better. That was from a longtime friend of mine named John Acuff. Now you probably know John because he's on his ninth book now. He's been a guest on the show before and John is, not only is he a very compelling researcher, but he is excellent at packaging big ideas and making them navigable for the rest of us. So if I asked you a few questions, what if you could have a fulfilling career, a thriving marriage, strong friendships, and rewarding hobbies? Would you say that that's too much to have all at the same time? What if you could also be in the best shape of your life or if every day was better than the day before? Now, obviously, this stuff sounds huge and like a, a massive overpromise. But the reality is if we got good enough at setting goals and then executing against those goals, those statements could all be true. It's not a stretch, right? This is the only way that humans, I guess maybe not the only way, but a, an understood way that we can succeed, that we can create fulfillment for ourselves is setting goals. So in today's show, we break that down. We talk about what are goals? How should we think about them? What is a, a mechanism for breaking them down to small enough chunks? Because without that, it's, it's paralysis. How to even set the right goal? This is what John Acuff is great at. He's a New York Times bestselling author. As I mentioned, nine books. He's an Inc. Top 100 leadership speaker. I've heard him speak. I've, been on, I've shared stages with him. Absolutely incredible speaker. I left the last keynote where I saw him speak and like John is so good at this, so talented, so funny. Maybe I should just quit my game and go home. Um, you're going to love today's episode. Uh, John is a ball of energy. He's very articulate, super sweet, kind, fun, and funny, and very real. You're going to get that immediately. So I'm going to get out of the way, let you enjoy this conversation between yours truly and John Acuff. My man, John Acuff, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Chase. I'm looking forward to it. So, as a prior guest to the show, you know a lot about our our audience of listeners and watchers. Um, we identify as as creators, as entrepreneurs, as creative curious. Uh, a lot of orientation around human performance, uh, and you have been operating in this space for a long time. I'll just do a little recap of uh, of a little bit of our backstory as soon as you're done talking in just a second here. Uh, but for the handful of folks who might not be familiar with you or your work because you are one of the most prolific creators that I know, one of the world's best speakers, I've seen you speak personally, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of keynotes, and mm -hmm. yours uh, I, is in the top five I've ever seen. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, but in your own words, how would you or could you orient 
yourself and time, space, the work that you focus on for our listeners? Yeah. So I get to do two things all year. I write books and then I go talk to people about the books. And the simplest level, that's what I do. Um, I'm really curious about goals because learning how to apply goals and enjoy goals changed my own life. And so I, the reason I'm prolific is I feel the sense of urgency. It took me to my mid thirties to figure out some of this stuff, some in my mid forties to figure out this stuff. And if I can package it in a way that saves you some time, that's super fun. So I feel like I found a treasure chest and I'm just trying to get people to see their own treasure chest or I found a party and then I try to create the best invitation to get as many people there as possible because I don't want you to miss the party. This whole like writing books thing, it turns out it's it works good for you because you're on your ninth one. Uh, we've had you as a guest on the show at least once, maybe twice yep. before. We are going to talk about your new one called All It Takes is a Goal nine books. So this thing of like writing and then talking about what you write about turns out it can be a pretty good gig, eh? It could be a great gig. I think it's an amazing gig. Um, what I always tell people is I have multiple ways I do it. Like I never want to give this impression like I'm in a cabin somewhere and I'm smoking a pipe and there's a falcon, like I'm a falconer when I'm not <laughs> writing prose or whatever. Um, there's a lot of different things I do. That's why when you describe your audience, I am your audience. Like I'm an mm. entrepreneur, I'm creative, I'm always tinkering, I'm finding new things, I'm experimenting and things blow up in my face and I go, let's not do that again. And other things work and I'm being challenged by other people's works. And so, yeah, I do, those are the two big things I do, but that comes with podcasting and it comes yeah. with social media and it comes with consulting or coaching. So there's always a lot of different things I think the creative work we do comes with. And I feel grateful that I live in this era of creativity. Cause in the fifties, I would have to have a radio station like I, or I would have to be on one of three channels that exists and there wouldn't be room for, for guys like me. And so I think it's a real benefit that we're all alive in this moment as creatives, because there's opportunities there never were before. All right. At the risk of, uh, retracing steps from a previous show. I said that I would uh, outline how we met just for context to those listeners. Sure. Because, you know, as you introduce yourself as a creator, as an entrepreneur, uh, I'm going to go back to a mutual friend who brought us together, Lewis Howes at, uh, actually, was it Lewis? I know it was Chris. Is that Chris's event? But I think maybe Lewis introduced us. Or maybe it was Chris. I Short think it story. was Lewis at dinner. I think yeah. it was Lewis via dinner. Yeah. So, um, I had hosted a dinner at the World Domination Summit, which is Chris's event, long-standing event, went 10 years, I think, or more. Mm -hmm. uh, he's wrapped it up now, put a nice tidy bow on that. And it was a precursor to the, to the um, I would just call it his event, multi-day event, lots of good speakers. I had a speaking slot, you had a speaking slot. And as I mentioned or teased earlier in the show, I had the privilege of watching you speak and mm -hmm. To have this beautifully sewn together universe of, of comedy, of drama, of seriousness, of levity, um, you are an excellent speaker, but it strikes me that there's a level deeper here, that you have been, um, I'd say, crafting this amazing life for some time. Mm -hmm. And I've often talked in my book, Creative Calling, or in the show, other places, mm -hmm. that a well-lived life, if we see someone on the internet or we meet someone, that those lives don't happen on accident. They are crafted. 
And to that end, uh, since we were originally introduced, since that dinner uh, and that event, uh, I've been attuned to your work. And what we're looking at now is a ninth book. And in service of that crafted life, usually our visions, dreams, goals that we have Mm -hmm. for this one precious life. And your most recent book here, one of what we're going to talk about today, is around goals. Mm-hmm. All it takes is a goal. And so I'm wondering, having you know, created what uh, looks to the outside, and I'm sure you know, we all have our challenges, but that you've created a living and a life for yourself where you love what you do, you're working in, in writing and speaking, as you shared with us momentarily, or just a moment ago, and that is a dream for so many people who are listening or watching. And for mm-hmm. sure, there are other dreams out there that we haven't uh, checked the box next to for listeners. But in service of your vision and your dream, how do goals play a role? How long and circuitous has your journey been? And start to help us understand how you've distilled what you've learned into this new piece of work. Yeah. So, I mean, like a lot of people, my my dream story started with frustration. I was in my early 30s. I had two kids under the age of three. Um, I had a beautiful wife. We lived in Atlanta. I had a full-time job. um, And I hit a career ceiling. I was 33, 34 years old. I was at the top of my career. I was a copywriter. Um, I love advertising for its ability to change somebody's life, to get them to motivate and do something different. Um, and so I was a senior content designer at Auto Trader, and there was no super duper senior content designer. I was at the end of that ladder, and that was really overwhelming. And really, you know, to hit a career, you were done at 33. And I knew I didn't want to be a creative director because I liked getting my hands dirty. And I'd seen enough creative directors who were micromanagers because they got so good at the thing that their reward was they no longer got to do the thing. They were amazing graphic designers. They were amazing. And then their reward was they no longer got to do it and had to direct other people doing the thing they loved. And so then I realized I didn't want to do that. And so I just felt stuck. And so I started blogging. Um, just on a whim, a friend encouraged me and I started to blog and I, and I just realized, wow, there's this whole world out there I didn't know about. And if I create ideas, I get to see the ideas happen and I get to see responses to the ideas and I get to, and that just felt like, it felt like a game. In the book I described, it felt like I saw the matrix. Like I, these weren't bullets, these were lines of code. And I think we have moments like that in our life. And that's where I leaned in. I always tell people like, from a creative standpoint, Discipline, willpower, grit have done nothing for me. I'm not a very disciplined person naturally. I don't have a lot of grit. I don't have a lot of willpower. But what happened was I found something I loved and the joy of that burned so bright it made everything else dim. So I didn't say one day, Chase, I'm going to stop watching TV so much. I'm going to stop sleeping in. Like, no, like I wanted to write more. I wanted to throw the firewood that is time and hours into this inferno and make it burn brighter. So I wanted to get up at 5 a.m. not because I was disciplined and I was Mark Wahlberg and was gonna do burpees at 3 a.m. Like I was like, wow, I can if this feels really good and if I do it more, it feels even better. What? And so then I started getting up and I started watching less television. I started doing all these things that from the outside look disciplined, but from the inside were me going, how many 
hours can we throw into this furnace? Like even with all the other commandments I have. So that's what started it for me was just that sense. And then again, it's like anything you really discover that you love, you want to help other people discover their thing too. Like it Mm -hmm. always starts, I always say like it always starts with self and it always leads to service. So where public speaking changed for me was it changed from being an act of performance to an act of service. Where now I'm like, how do I serve that person there? Like, where are they right now that I can take them to a place that I can inspire them, that I can, you know, how do I do that? And so that's where I started to really craft the things I do. And then what changed even further in the last five years is I had a big enough audience that I could test the ideas before I put them in a book. In the same way that like your books will have a texture to them that's different than somebody who had an idea in their office because you've done it with a lot of people. You have an incubator with people tinkering. You have, so for me, like with this book, one of the things I'm proudest of is there's 40 real people in it. Mm-hmm. So it's not that John Acuff had a John Acuff sized idea in this office and then said, I hope this is helpful. I taught these ideas to a thousand people and you get to hear some, like I'm 47, like God forbid I write another kind of memoir kind of like at 47, you don't need a ninth version of like, here's another chapter of John Acuff's life. Like that's, there's elements definitely, but like I want other people in there so that when readers read it, that person sees themselves. So like one of my favorite people in the book, Susan Robertson, got her degree in the car rider pickup line. She would watch videos of professors. She would do homework in the car rider pickup line, picking up her kids from school. So now I know another mom somewhere in a state I maybe have never been to is going to read that and go, I could do that. I could do that. So that's where like it just changes it and it becomes really fun. And, and so when I speak, I'm thinking about that. You're right. I'm trying to go, how do I use humor? How do I use a story? How do I put a handle on this? How do I, I'm tr- also trying to give people like, I write with this sense of what do I do with this on a Tuesday? What do I do with this on a Tuesday? So like, I don't like books that I read and I go, they go, you got to have an abundance mindset. And I go, agreed, but how? What do I do with that on a Tuesday? I think about that reader or that person sitting in the audience and go, they have a real Tuesday they're going back to. And it's challenging and it's it's got stuff in it. And like, I think about this guy that I talked to the other day that said, this influencer said, I need to start every morning reading 90 pages, 90 minutes of 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 a book, but I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I can't come downstairs at 5, 45 AM and be like, Hey kids, pipe down. Dad's trying to read some Socrates for 90 minutes. So like, I'm always trying to temper the things I encourage people with, with the practicality of the person that's sitting at home, because then they can actually do it. And then they feel encouraged and then they, then it gets to blossom. And that, so that, that's kind of how I think about things. That was a long answer. No, it's the right kind of answer though. Uh, And I think the practicality is one of the things that I appreciate in your work and our listeners will as well. And so in order to get into a little bit deeper into this goal material Mm -hmm. that I'm fascinated by, I've long been a goal setter. Um, And depending on who you talk to, goals are great or goals are evil. And what I generally find is goals are incredibly valuable if they are the right goals. And if you have the ability to understand what you really want in this world, that's step one. Step two then is, as you said, going from the couch to the goal. How do you fit these goals into your lifestyle when you have to, you know, take care of the kids in the morning and you, you know, you've got a real job because you're trying to transition from one thing to another. So I want to start there. And my understanding, you know, from the book is that you've done a bunch of research 
you had a big study and it it provided some really insightful and maybe even scary stats that uh, that you lay out early in the book. Yeah. So the way I write books um, is I find a challenge in my own life that is worth solving or like I find a question that's haunting me. And then I work on it, I work on it, I work on it. And then I see if other people have the same challenge. Because then if they do, now it's worth spending a few years turning it into a thing. So I had a moment, a personal moment, where we took our uh, oldest daughter to college to do a college tour. And it was the college I attended. And I was standing there next to my wife, Jenny, who you've met um, when awesome. we were out there in Portland. Woman. Yep. And she looked to me and said, wasn't college amazing? And I was having the opposite experience. I was looking at just the train wreck of my four years there. Like I was just a mess. I got rejected from every fraternity because I was such a jerk. I almost lost my scholarships multiple times. Like just, I was a mess in college. And I drove home from that moment with this real sense of regret. And because I had just written the book Soundtracks about mindset, I knew that I had options with my mindset. Like that I could choose, like, was it true that I had not made the most of college? It was. Was it helpful for that to become the soundtrack I listened to again and again and again? No. Was it kind to myself? No. So I had this moment where I said, okay, those are four years, but I might live 40 more years. What can I do going forward? Is there a way to change this? And then I said, do other people feel the same way? Like, is it just me? And so that's where we did the study and we asked 3,000 people do you think you're living up to your potential? And 96% said no. And then the second stat that got us was that 50% of them said 50% of themselves is untapped. And the metaphor that helped me understand that was thinking about, imagine if you walk down at Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever faith tradition you have and only open half of your presents, like 50% of them you didn't open. And there were friends and family members, maybe even coworkers going, hey, there's those presents are yours. And for whatever reason you pulled back, like how unfulfilling would that life feel? So then I was like, okay, now I need to invest. Like, how do you actually like tap into this fuzzy topic called potential? Because we've heard about that word forever, but I want to make it actionable. And I'll I'll give you an example of that. So one day I'm like, you know what? I want to be a better friend. I want to figure out, like, I want deeper relationships. Like I work from home and I remember like a sure sign that you're lonely is when you over talk the UPS guy. We're like, he's like, Hey, I just want to leave the box. Here. And you're like, how are the kids? How's Pam? Like, and you're like, okay, I need to get out more. I need more relationships. So I say, I want to be a better friend. It's too vague. It's too fuzzy. So then I go, how can I make this practical? How can I make it actionable? And I make it actionable by saying, I'm going to encourage one person every day for a month, 30 different people. I'm going to encourage them. I make a list of friends ahead of time. Cause I don't want to be stuck on a Thursday morning going, who, 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 I make a list and then I send them a text message. I'm not doing like a, a letter. It's not complicated. I text them. I texted Jeremy Coward, one of our mutual friends. And I would Love say, man, yep. I was thinking about creativity the other day. And anytime I think of somebody really creative, you're who comes to mind, man. I'm so, it's so fun to watch you create art, man. And I do that for 30 days and not a single person goes, this is the worst time for you to tell me that. This is most of them say, you have no idea how much I needed that today. And I, in the process, get to be a better friend. So I try to do the same thing with potential where I go, what does it look like to live in your potential? How do I create that? How do I teach that? How do I put some handles around that so people can actually pick up the ideas? That's really where the book and the research started was, I didn't live up to my own potential. Other people feel the same thing too. So what do we do? That's how it started. 
Uh, it's interesting, you know, the subhead for for those listening, the, the heading is all it takes is a goal, but mm-hmm. the subhead, three-step plan to ditch regret and tap into your potential. We've talked about potential. I heard you say that you were full of regret as you were standing mm-hmm. there in the college campus. So what is the relationship between regret and potential? Did you find something out about that from, from uh, your survey or... Now, how would, how would you, did you, did that come up in the research? Well, for me, the big thing was, so like, I think about it like fear. I'll use fear as an example. Um, being afraid is a feeling. Staying afraid is a choice. Like they're, they're different. And so what's really the last five years, the thing that's helped me the most as a creative is understanding how powerful my thoughts are and then doing something about that and going, okay, I get to choose this. And and just, I'll take fear as an example. Like you feel afraid, it's a feeling. And then if you, like, if you don't deal with it, it often turns into a belief. And then if you keep listening to it, it turns into an identity and it gets really lodged in where if it starts as a feeling and you deal with it, you process it in however way you want to do that. You learn from it. I'm a big, like if you People who say you should never be afraid are missing half of themselves. You don't get to be fully aware without understanding and learning from fear. Fear is an amazing, like an amazing teacher. It's just not a great CEO. So, like for me, like with regret, it was the same thing. There were things I felt regret about, and I processed that, and I looked at that, and I didn't hide it, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't. But I also didn't make it a king. I didn't. I didn't put a crown on it or deify it. I said, okay. I feel this regret. Okay, so what do I do now? I think the what do I do now is a great kind of switch from here's something that happened. What do I do now? Um, and even just not blame decisions I've made in the past or not blame other people. And so that was where I saw a lot of people make that transition. And then the other thing that helped, like, so in chapter two, like if listeners do chapter two, like if that's the only chapter they read, like that, I think their response is going to be so fun because. I came up with this tool, like stumbled on it called a best moments list. And <laughs> I was sitting exercise. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the Augusta airport and I want to tap into my potential and I'm trying to figure out tools to do that. Not just, I want it to be, I want it to be actionable. And so I write best moments on a piece of paper and I just give my head and my heart the permission to Google the best moments I've experienced in the last five years, 10 years, 20 years with no limitations. So like the only rule is everything counts. You fire the bouncer. There's no, I don't know if this is a real best moment. So I write small things down, like my favorite sushi restaurant or big things down, like hitting New York times list or, you know, medium sized things like, um, you know, the, the way a new car smells or a, a favorite dog in the neighborhood. There's a, you have a dog, there's a dog named scout that I always end my run right near where he stands up on the fence to get pet. Like that's a small best moment for me. So what happened doing that, like it changed my life. And the reason why it felt so counterintuitive, I figured out later is that it's the opposite of most of what we're taught. Every, I love counseling. I'm a big, I'm going to my counselor next, next week. I love counseling. Dudes that don't love counseling always go, I mean, my performance coach, they go, oh yeah, yeah. Performance coach, like Steph Curry. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, so fine. Call it what you want. It's my counselor. But a lot of counseling situations focus on your trauma and your sadness. Like we culturally are addicted to trauma and sadness. For every 100 scientific papers written on sadness, there's only one on joy. 
Like in every small group I've been in as a married couple, when we tell our stories, there's this big like, oh, here's the worst things that happened to us in our marriages. I was in a men's group where we drew a trauma egg, where we drew a physical photo of all the traumatic things that have happened. I've never once had somebody say, hey, you can learn a lot from your joy. So let's make a list of all the things that really light you up. And so I did this and it started like, number one, you, le- you learn gratitude makes you instantly grateful. Number two, you learn self-awareness because you start to, like, if you tell your head and your heart, find things from my past that make me happy, they automatically start looking in your present. Like my definition of, of being present is learning to be nostalgic about the moment you're still in. So not a week later, not a year later, in the moment you go, I'm nostalgic and I'm still in the moment. Like that's a really fun way to be present. And then what happens, Chase, is everyone automatically goes, I want more of this. I want, I want more of this. Instead of going, find a 20-year vision, like that cripples me. I, I'm a goal guy. I'm a self-help guy, whatever. But when somebody goes, what's your 10-year plan? What's your life plan? Like, oh, it cripples me. But it, when you make a real list of things, you automatically go, I want more of this. And then I taught this to hundreds of people and they were always surprised what they put down on their list. And I tell them, write down 30, just 30. And they'd write down 300 and they'd go, hey, this is this is changing and it gives you this path forward that's really fun. So for me as a creative like that was that was game changing. And that's why I'm excited about the book cuz I feel like I'm shepherding this idea. Like that's like and it's again it's counterintuitive to so many other things that people talk about when they talk about goals. Cuz people say don't look back, you're not going that direction. Oh, don't learn? Like I'm 47, I have a lot of things to learn like Oh man, like don't look back. I'm not going that direction. I'm like, no, the past can inform your present, which prepares your future. And I love, and you talk about redeeming your past. Oh, dude, come on. Well, help. Let's use me as a guinea pig. So pretend, you know, coach me through the lens of your book. That chapter two, doing this exercise, it was very valuable, as you mentioned, for gratitude. Um, one of the things that has been very effective for me as life gets busy and, you know, careers happen and we set goals and we've got to, you know, take the kids to school or we've got to, you know, prepare the presentation for our boss or get ready for the work trip or whatever is that we just get so wrapped up and we forget to look for ways to infuse joy. And I read a book from a friend uh, I met this friend through Tim Ferriss. His name is Charlie Hone. He wrote a book called Play It Away. And it essentially was look at the joyful moments in your past. And if nothing else as a mechanism for um, relieving anxiety, mm-hmm. in Charlie's case, he uses the example of I went and bought 50 baseballs and a bat and just stand in a park and I just a buddy would you know pitch me baseballs and we'd hit them all over and then we would trade roles and we'd go pick up all the baseballs and get back with their day. And it was like a 45-minute exercise, 20 minutes for him, 20 minutes for me, changed his life. So when I'm looking at you know this list, how and people say you don't look backwards, and this is what reminded me of that when you said that, don't look backwards. I can't help but try to connect the dots from when I've been the happiest, like who am I around? What activities am I doing? Where yeah. am I? What is my mindset? What is my physical status? So was it from was it was it born out of your experience? in those moments that you found this to be so powerful and such a key aspect of, you know, setting a future for yourself? Was it something else? 
how did you how did you unlock this? No, so I ended up with a, more than 170 things on my list and I just I started to go like I it turned on my eyes for my current life and I started to go wow, this isn't just about the past, this is also about my present and I think this is going to help me with the future. Like so how do I so so I started to the the best ideas I get to put in books are lived mm-hmm. ideas. And I live them with other people as they live them too and then I put them in the book. By the time like by the time the idea is in a book, I'm not guessing if it's helpful. I've already I already know it's helpful cuz so many people have poked holes in it. We've both read books where we go that's that's technically true but they didn't do that. That's yeah. technically true but no one's done that. That's technically true but it's not really going to be helpful. So like for me, that's where I feel like there's, there's a texture to it. But so, yeah, so it, it happened for me, but then I, again, I would teach it and somebody would go, man, today I watched my son get off the bus and he took the long way into our driveway because there was a puddle he wanted to go through. And I wrote that down as a best moment because I saw him do that. And I saw it because I was looking for best moments and I told my brain, hey, find things that light me up. And that lit me up. And I wrote it on my list. And I'm not like, and not like for me, a soundtrack is fear comes free, hope takes work. Like you never have to go look for fear. It'll find right. you like in the grocery store. But hope, positivity, they take a little bo- bit of work. And when you have a list and it gives you this exercise, that's where you start to notice that stuff. So yeah, I, I just started to see it in my own life. And then I, I just started to notice that so many things on the list I had stopped doing. Mm. And you go, because life got busy, because I, I chased some sort of success that I really didn't even want anyway, like because I you know, was distracted because of a million different things. And so then when I started to say, okay, no, like I, I put a lot of these types of things on the list. Why did I stop doing them? And what if I started doing them again? And then the the thing that shifted it for me was, I started to say, can I categorize the list? Like, are there, are there patterns in here that I'm missing? So that, that I love to take big complex things and simplify them so that mm-hmm. I can actually use them. And when I started to work that, I realized every one of the items in my list fit one of four categories. It was either an experience, it was an accomplishment, it was a relationship, or it was an object. So experience, accomplishment, relationship, object. And the way I distinguish them as an example would be if you go hiking. And you go alone and you love, like you get to see a vista and it's amazing. That's an experience. If you go with a friend who's going through a divorce and you get to really lean into them and be kind to them, that's a relationship moment. If you hiked it faster than you've ever hiked it, that's an accomplishment. And if you took a rock from the top to remind yourself you can do hard things, that's an object. So I started to kind of list this, like I just went through E-A-R-O and like listed it out. And then I was really surprised that, wow, I'm an accomplishment guy. A lot of my friends would be like, yeah, you have a podcast called All It Takes Is A Goal. Like you have <laughs> goal sheets that you check off boxes. Like you're obviously an accomplishment guy, but it was still a surprise for me. And then it was a surprise how little objects I had on the list, that objects weren't really a motivator for me. So then it becomes this like really interesting skeleton key to your life because you go, oh, I'm an accomplishment person. And maybe you grew up in a family where success was shame and you weren't supposed to outshine somebody. And so you pull back from accomplishment, but you look at your list and go, 80% of my list is accomplishment based. What if I accepted that and gave myself permission to enjoy those things. And then you go, wow, 
objects don't matter to me like I thought they did. Why am I wiring so much of my life around objects where they don't ultimately fulfill me? What if I stopped caring about objects because my list has told me they don't matter to me? That's where, again, it became, I like to joke that it's the most honest personality test you'll ever take because every personality test I lie a little bit on because there's some questions that I'm like, I should care more about that. I should. And so like, there's some degree, some degree where I've fudged the results a little bit. So that's, that's the, that's why it was such a helpful tool to me. And it was a life plan. Like it felt like a really simple, really fun life plan that I just hadn't seen somebody do it this way before. Because most life plans start with figure out your five-year vision. And man, that's hard. Man, that I see so many people get crippled in like the first stage. Speaking of that, that is a like the world's most perfect transition to really to where I want to take this next, which is to me, the gap between let's just say we are able to identify some big goals, or just for the purpose of yeah. this conversation, a big goal. And that itself, in itself, you've already then overcome all these, you know, the, the hurdles in order to know yourself enough. And let's say you do, you navigate that and are saying, you know what would really light me up? Let's put a big goal up here because mm -hmm. I've heard these ideas in business school, big, hairy, audacious oh, yeah. goals. You know, you got big BHAGs and you got, I need to define my why. You know, these giant sort of yeah. rocks. And I'm not saying those are bad. I think big goals are great. But where I stumbled, I think before I really started getting into the art and science that is, you know, goal setting and mm -hmm. having learned a bunch from you and and a couple of others like around habits, for example. It when I see people, when I first experienced it myself and when I see others, the big stumble is a huge goal, don't know how to get from where I'm at right now to something larger. So you've got this concept of micro actions. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping you can share a little bit about that for our listeners. Yeah. So let me let me give some people a little bit of freedom around that topic, especially the entrepreneurs. So everybody right now, entrepreneur rise is addicted to like niche, niche, niche. You got to know your niche. You got to have your niche. You got to do your niche. Like before you start, you got to have micro niche, whatever. I think that's re really helpful in the middle. I don't think it's helpful at the beginning. And the reason why is that be like saying to somebody, you've never tasted food. What's your favorite food? What's the food you want to focus on? And you go, but I've, I've never had a single ingredient. Can I sample some foods? Or like, no. Is it sushi? I don't know what that is. Is it Italian? I don't know what that is. Is it Mexican? I don't know what that is. So for me, that's one of those hurdles we put up. We go, you got to know whether you want to sell roses on, you know, in this market, this type of rose to this type, like, oh my gosh, like it's taken me 10 years to know goals is the word I really want to sit on for a long time. Like I, like it's taken me a long time. So when it comes to big goals and micro actions, I like to think about it like this. Imagine if I had a 12 foot ladder, I've got a 12 foot ladder and it only has two rungs. It has one at the very bottom and has one at the very top. And I said, okay, Chase, this is your goal. You have to get to the top of that ladder. Like, good luck jumping. Like, you have to jump two feet higher than a basketball rim, grab that one rung, and pull yourself up. That's what most people do with goals. They go, I got my big, hairy, audacious goal. I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to start a $10 million business, whatever. And they can't make the leap 
that'd be a really useless ladder. So instead, what if you said, you know, here's a ladder and there's 22 rungs and each rung is only six inches apart. And can you climb to the top of that ladder? They'd go, yeah, that, that's a really easy ladder. That's what I like to do. I'm fine with you having a huge, crazy big goal, write a book, start a business, whatever. But I want to go, okay, well, let's get some rungs on there. Like imagine if my goal, there's a lot of people on your, that listen to this that want to write a book. 83% of Americans want to write a book according to the New York Times. It's a very popular goal. I wrote 500 words today. Imagine if the only rung I had was finish a book. Like every day of the year, I'd feel like a failure. Every day, at the end of every day, I'd go, I didn't finish the book today. Didn't finish the book today. Didn't, didn't touch the one rung. But instead, I have a year's worth of tiny micro actions. So one day it's figure out the subtitle. Another day it's call the publisher. Another day it's, and so every day I'm climbing this ladder and every day I'm making progress, I look up and I've got a whole book done and I've actually made progress and I actually feel good about it and I actually have accomplished it. That's what I try to help people with. So a lot of what I do is I go, okay, here's where you want to end up. Here's where you are right now. How can we add a lot of rungs to that ladder so you get to make joyful, sustainable progress step by step by step by step? And you don't have to have them all mapped out right now. You, you really don't. Like, I didn't know I'd be doing this 10 years ago. When I started a blog that was mostly just about being sarcastic, I didn't see this. I, I really didn't. Like, when I saw you at, when I saw you at um, Chris Gillibo's event, I didn't see this. Like, I didn't, if you had said, John, I need your 10 year plan. I would have been like, oh man, is that, we have to have those? Like I didn't, okay, well like this is, but I've just kept climbing the ladder and I look up and all of a sudden I, you know, I'll, I'll turn in my 10th book this September. Like, so like the books keep happening because I'm, I'm just climbing the ladder and it's really fun and I'm not trying to leap and stretch and pull myself up. I'm just going up another rung. And so that's what I try to help people with is like, what's that micro action? What's that micro rung? Of course, uh, I have to direct people to the book because it is badass. It's very powerful. And while I don't want to give all of the contents away, I feel very compelled for to ask you to share the, the top line of the three-step plan because it's seductive when you've made it easy for us. It's also, we can be a little bit dubious because really my goals in three steps Help us reconcile those two things. Share this three-step plan and plant the seed so that uh, we can talk around that a little bit further. Yeah. So I, I just talked about, okay, there's people that are high performing, but not high achieving. Why does that happen? I was curious about that. I think we're all capable. Like, let me just, let me tell everyone who's listening right now, congratulations, you're a high performer. And I know that because low performers don't listen to content like this. They don't even know podcasts like this exist. They don't read the types of books Chase recommends. They don't attend events. Like they don't do like you're nobody made you listen to this podcast. By the very nature of you listening to this, you're not normal. You're interested. You're curious. You're a high performer. So how do we make sure we become high achievers? Because we all know people who are capable of sporadic bursts of high performance, but not long-term sustainable achievement. So what I found is that high performers tend to ricochet between three zones, three different performance zones. If you imagine like a line and the left end of the line would say the comfort zone, the far end of the other line, the other end of the line would say the, the chaos zone. And in the middle is the potential zone. 
So what happens is people get stuck in their comfort zone and maybe they get inspired. They It's New Year's and they're like, I'm going to do it. And they immediately try to do everything and they ricochet all the way over to the chaos zone and they go, I'm doing it. I'm doing everything, but it's not sustainable. It's not something they can do. And then they swing back to the comfort zone and they go, that's why we have the phrase yo-yo diet, because we tend to yo-yo between these two extremes. And I hadn't heard someone really like the comfort zone gets all the press, but the chaos zone, I think trips up more people that are creative than anything else. Cause I think everyone listening to this has done the thing where they're like, I'm going to learn yoga. I'm going to start tracking every penny. I'm going to change my logo. I'm going to connect with more friends. And like, and they come up with 10 goals for a single weekend and they can't do it. And that's chaos zone. And so they, they stop doing everything. And so what I found is that the potential zone is in the middle of those. It's, it's not too little. It's not too much. It's kind of like Goldie's Goldilocks zone. Like it's just right. And so the three-step plan is you escape the comfort zone with easy goals. Like you get yourself out of the comfort zone with easy goals. You avoid the chaos zone with middle goals and you live in the potential zone with what I call guaranteed goals. And that phrase is unusual, guaranteed goals. But an example of that, I, I spoke to somebody today who, who is working out and they're getting in shape and they're like, no, if I work out an hour a day and I cut refined sugars, at the end of 90 days, I'm guaranteed to be in better shape. And I said, exactly. Same with me. If I write 500 words a day, I'm guaranteed at the end of this, there's a book that happens. And there's a lot of those situations in life that if I encourage 30 friends a day, Chase, I'm guaranteed to have better relationships. That's not magic, dude. It's really not. Like that's just that's just math. And so that's the three-step plan is how do you do those three things? I think there's a lot of people that'll recognize themselves in the chaos zone and say, oh, okay, that's the zone that's been tripping me up. I didn't even have a name for it. And, and now I know what I can do with it. You had a great Instagram post not too long ago on one of your cards that has your your name and logo at mm. top. It says, some beats none. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, so I, I talked about a friend just the other day who he uh, called me. No, we had dinner. He goes, dude, you posted a mile run on Strava. Like, dude, no. Don't, what are you, a mile? Oh, I'd be so embarrassed because Strava tracks, you know, running. And I thought about that and I thought, one, I don't care what strangers on Strava, like I'm not running for strangers on Strava, but two, some beats none. It adds up when I, like I'm a struggling perfectionist and a perfectionist would rather get a zero than a C minus. It's a really weird thing. But what happens is a perfectionist will go, John, I want to run three miles a day, but I only have time for two today. So I'm going to do none. And you go, well, you know, two is more than none, but it's less than what they wanted. So they won't even do it. So I need. Like Chase, I need 50 reminders of the truth. I wish I was better at a lot of these things. I do. Like I wish I could tell you, Chase, like as soon as I lock it in in the morning, I perform all day. Like that's not my life. Like I have like, I'm going to turn the camera a minute. Like that wall right there, that's a list of soundtracks, of positive soundtracks I need to remember. Like I, like here's one, this one says, ask for more. Like, cause I was undervaluing my work. You're a, every creative on here. You're undervaluing your work. I wrote this one on uh, this is three years old, August 27th, 2020. Cause I needed to sit at this desk. And when I was negotiating, remember my work has value. I need to ask for more. And so I, some beat none is one of those where I'm like, no, the little things add up, the little things add up. Some beats none, some beats none. Like calling one client is better than no clients. Like, did I want 10? I did, dude. I wanted to call 10 but that might not have been realistic. It might not have been what I had in me that day. 
like some beats none. And so I'm always trying to find ways that I can encourage myself with the right tools. I think about it like this, like I'm a natural, pessimistic, jaded, cynical person, but I've tested positivity and I've tested negativity. And the ROI of positivity is so much better, just so much better, but it doesn't come naturally to me. So I have to work at it. And so I listen to, you know, when I'm working out, I'm listening to positive audiobooks. Like I'm listening, I'm feeding myself positive things. I'm drowning my doubts. I don't ask my doubts to go away. Like I've tried that for years. I was like, hey, doubt, if you could stop bothering me, that'd be great. And doubt's like, yeah, screw you. I drown them. And so, like, when somebody says to me, oh, man, I just feel negative. I, it's kind of like if somebody didn't eat all day and at the end of the day was like, it's weird. I feel hungry. I'd be like, it's not weird. You didn't, you didn't eat all day. So I'm trying to be really conscious about what I as a creative am engaging with, who I'm engaging with, what I'm engaged, like how I'm doing that so that some beats none. I'm going to need that some days. I'm going to need to ask for more some days. I'm going to need one of those up on the, you know, fear gets a voice, not a vote. Um, like Brad Montague, you know, Brad Montague. I know Brad. Yeah. Great guy. Kid, kid president. Kid president. Yeah. So dude, if you're a creative, you need to value ideas. You need to collect them as gold, regardless of what type of creative you are. We could do a whole episode on this because it took me years to figure out. So for me, I actively collect ideas. I review them. I do a ton with them. Brad Montague, I just looked up on my board. I remembered he, I asked him, how do you follow up the kid president project? Like, dude, you met Beyonce. Like, you did something with Obama. Like, how do you do a project after that? And he said, well, the big thing for me is I have to know, am I creating for love or from love? Am I creating something out of this love I have? Or am I creating it to try to gain love and adoration and applause? Because those are two very different things. And there's only one I want to be involved in. And so I wrote up from love versus for love as a reminder to myself. So like that's where you need podcasts like this. You need creative communities. You need books. You need friends. And you collect those things. And then all of a sudden, you have this rolling kind of hurricane of positivity that encourages you to create the photo, to create the business, to create the book. And it, it, you can't even stop it at that point. Like it has its own momentum and you just enjoy Like that's like for me, I'm, I'm X amount of years in and I genuinely believe I'm just getting started. Like I genuinely am like, I have so much to learn and so much to do. I'm 47. I've got so many things I'm curious about. And I didn't feel that in my 20s. And now I'm like, ooh, I've, I feel that now. Like, what are the 50s going to be like? Like, let's go. Like, I feel very excited. People fail achieving goals all the time. Yeah. All the time. What are the biggest reasons why we fail? Well, I mean, sometimes it was the wrong goal. Like it was a goal you thought you should do. Um, I, I talked to a dentist once who said, John, I knew in dental school, I didn't want to be a dentist, but my parents wanted me to be a dentist. I told a bunch of people I was going to be a dentist and I continued on and now I'm 250 grand in debt and I really want to be a high school band director. But the only way to get out of the debt is to keep being a dentist. So sometimes you've inherited a goal that you think you should do. And it was the wrong, like, it was like wearing your dad's suit coat to the eighth grade dance. Like it didn't fit. And so sometimes it's, you've, you've, you've got the wrong goal from the get go. Um, sometimes you gave up on the results too soon. I always tell people like, I know exactly how long your goal is going to take. And people say, what? And I'll say longer than you want. I still haven't met someone who said, yeah, the book like took, it was so easy. I had no idea. Like the business was just like all of a sudden, like money showed up and it was so easy. Like, 
it's going to take longer. So sometimes we give up on the results um, before. Sometimes we don't have enough community. You're supposed to dream and build in community. You need other people. Um, sometimes we haven't curated enough motivation. We thought we'd stay as motivated as we were the whole way. And we don't know that motivation is a skill and you have to practice it and you have to grow it. You have to nurture it. Um, sometimes it's, it's, we've exposed a fragile goal too soon to too many people. Like I don't share goals I'm working on until they're muscular. Like I don't bring these fragile baby goals out to the internet, like throw them to the wolves. Like forget it, dude. It's too fragile. Like, no, I need this to get so like, this needs to be in fighting shape before I share it. I'll share it with friends, people I trust, safe people, et cetera. But I'm not sharing it to the general public until it's, it's able to stand up on its own. So sometimes you shared it too soon. You got negative feedback. It, it couldn't support itself. So I think, I think there's a million. And then sometimes we get distracted by other goals. Nothing looks like sometimes we get addicted to the start and we ignore the middle. So what happens is the start is fun, dude. It's there's excitement, all the stuff. We get into the middle. The middle's not fun, and another start comes up. Is like, hey, how'd you, you, would you like to start? You, you want to start again? How you doing? Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. And then you look at your like gnarly middle goal, and you're like, Ugh, I don't. This other one looks real nice. And then like you jump to that, and you just end up jumping, 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 and you never build up any momentum. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is sometimes. Our goals are divorced from our calendar. Like I feel like time is the only honest metric. So sometimes the problem I run into with people is they'll go, John, I got these 10 goals. I go, that's amazing. And I go, how much, how much time would those cost? They go, I have no idea. I go, how much time do you have available this week? No idea. So then we'll do an exercise. We'll do what I call like a time gap analysis. And they'll have two hours of free time in their week. And they'll have 10 goals that would require 40 hours of free time. And I'll go like that that those, that's not going to work. So like, let's figure out how we could make it work. Um, and then they, but they feel like they're a failure because they haven't looked at the numbers. They feel like something's wrong with them. I'm not getting all this done where if they did the numbers, they'd go, Oh dang, I can only got, that's what I did with my blog. I realized I wanted to blog more than the hours I had. So I had to get up earlier. Like that's not fun. Like nobody is, I don't like, like that was not enjoyable to me, but the payoff was the payoff was work it worth it. And once I knew that I needed more hours, that's when I started to do it. So I think there's a lot of re and my, I have plenty of goals that fail. The other thing is like, I think about them as an experiment. So it's not like one of the soundtracks I say is it'll be a success or a story. It'll either win or I'll get a story that eventually will help other people. So when I tell a story about my ad agency, just failing in every way possible, like it was super embarrassing at the time. It was super hard. Now, though, I can share that story and other people go, oh, man. Or like one of my number one posts I've ever shared is a picture of me alone in a room with like 50 chairs sitting by a trash can. And it was a meetup that it was like my first meetup I ever through. And I thought so many people were going to come. And I was so I, I printed my own shirt for it. I had like giveaways and two people in 90 minutes came. And one was a friend who just came to be like, dude, it'll be all right. And like. <laughs> I, even in that moment though, I had a friend take that photo and I was like, I'm going to need this photo later to remind myself, to encourage myself, but also to say to everybody who hopefully in 15 years sees me write a ninth book and thinks, oh man, he just turns out books all gravy. Like, no dude. Like, and you're still going to have those yeah. like Chase, we still have awkward moments, like plenty of them where you go, Dude, that people are like, how do you stay humble? I'm like, oh, life finds ways. Don't don't worry. Like, life <laughs> finds plenty, plenty of ways. So, 
I, you know, with failure, I eventually I'm able to share it as a story. Not initially. Like I'd be, I don't want you to get this like, man, some of this failures sting and it's hard. And I go talk to a counselor about it and I have to, it takes years to heal from some of them. Like, so it's not instant. I'm not saying that, but I think eventually there is a story that I can help other people with. Success or a story? Was that the- Yeah, it'll be a success or a story. Yeah, success or, and and, and sometimes it's a story and it takes me a little while to see it. And I go, okay, well, it looks like I'm going to be, going to be sharing this one. Like this didn't like, dude, okay, here's an example. This one for creatives, this is helpful. I had a book called do over, which you and I, I think, I think we talked about at some yeah. point. Um, it was my first book with penguin. Like this was like a New York publisher. Like it was, it was a dream. It was a dream, dude. And I love the phrase do over. I fought for that title. I came up with that title. I championed that title. And it was the wrong title. Like, and I didn't know until after the book came out. Because what happened was I saw Do Over as positive, as rise from the ashes, as you can do it. And the general reader who didn't know me saw it as so you failed and have to read a book about being a failure. And no one wants to pick up that book. No one wants to give that book to someone else, by the way. You think a wife wants to give her husband a book that says, (laughs) Hey, this book's about failures. Here you go. Why don't you read that? Put it on your nightstand. Like, Dude, I personally did damage to that book sales with that title. That was an expensive lesson and a humbling lesson for me to learn. We changed the subtitle. On the paperback, we were like, maybe the subtitle will fix it. That 100% me. That I, like, the publisher did an amazing job on that book. The title didn't work. But if, and like, that was humbling. And, and like, Finish came out after and sold three times the amount with like a lot less marketing. Because I had the right title. The, ti- the subtitle to finish was initially Stop Making Perfect the Enemy of Done. And we were like, Stop, Enemy Too Negative. We changed the subtitle to Give Yourself the Gift of Done. And that changed that book sales. Like that finish sold so much better because what I've realized is you make the promise on the cover, you fix the problem on the inside. You make the promise on the, and there's exceptions, obviously, but that was, a, that was not a fun moment. That was a story. I didn't succeed in that. I didn't. But now I have a story and I could be on your show and there's some there's some writer listening that I'll probably never meet that'll go, whoo, got to change the title of my book. <laughs> like, I don't want to learn that. Like, John Acuff paid an expensive lesson for that. Let me not pay that lesson. Like, great. Like, it's a story. I'll share the story. I love it. Let's talk about mindset. Yeah. Because I find that you know even the ability to pause long enough to taste the things you said you've never tasted food before like mm-hmm. and when we're not in the right mindset our self talk is in such a place that we 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 struggle to find the space we fu- we struggle to be able to give ourselves the grace to taste things we tr- struggle to it's like h- how do you in, a, in an order of operation sort of way. How do you think about taking care of yourself in such a way that you are then in the right headspace to make the right goal? We've talked about how having the right goals is actually really important. Certainly breaking it down into smaller steps, thinking about the latter, but what role does mindset play in your goal 
ecosystem? Uh, for me, it's everything. I mean, that was writing the book Soundtracks, which is about mindset. The three questions I learned to ask, the thoughts I have, the big ones, not every thought. You have like 60,000 thoughts or something a day. But I ask, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? And if I can't say yes to all those questions, then I, then I need to change it. So let me give you an example. Recently, I heard myself say out loud, and that's part of self-awareness. Like some of self-awareness is listening to yourself out loud. Like, so I said to somebody, I feel like I've maybe plateaued in my speaking career because I'm not a celebrity. Like I, there are celebrities that I know. I mean, I don't know them like we're friends. We're playing racquetball, or really pickleball. Who uses racquetball as an example in You're 2000? From the 80s. Yeah, I, I was about to say, right? Racket, like, boy, it's sweeping the nation. Racquetball. Yeah. So pickleball is what I meant. But like, I don't know these celebrities, but they make a ton of money because, uh, speaking wise, because they're celebrities. And so I so, told somebody the other day, man, I've just, I think I plateaued like because I'm not a celebrity. And is that true? It is true. That is true. There's a there's an element of truth to that. Is it helpful? It's not. Because what it does to me, it says, stop, stop trying to grow, stop trying to change, stop trying to build. Like, and is it kind? It's not. Because what it says is ultimately, hey, you're not famous and it doesn't matter what else you do, you'll never be famous. So just go ahead and quit. That's not kind. So I started to examine thoughts. And then so once you do that, you retire them and then you replace them. Like your brain is waiting to be told what you'd like to think. So for me, as cheesy as it sounds, as dorky as it sounds, I started to go, let me try this. Like, what would this look like? Like, so again, I'm pulling stuff off the wall. Here's another one. So this one says, I love writing this book. I wrote this um, November 10th, 2019, because I was struggling with a book and I needed to be reminded of the privilege it is to write books. Like, if you're in a creative field, even if you're just doing it a couple hours and it's a side hustle, whatever, like, man, what an amazing thing to be part of. Like, what a generous, why, like, wow, like, what are we part of? I needed a reminder. So the second thing is I try to remind myself of things I want to believe. I want to believe this. I want to be reminded of this. And then I repeat them. So I retire, I replace, I repeat. So for me, that's where I'm like, I'm putting it into practice and I'm putting it into practice and I'm putting it because it's a muscle. And here's the thing, like I practice negativity for so long that it takes me a lot of effort. Like my friend Colleen, she always says like some people's cars, the alignment is like really jacked up and pulls to the left real hard and they have to work really hard to get it to go straight. Like there's some parts of my life that are like that where I have to work really hard to get that thing kind of on some other people like they don't think that way. And they, they don't have negative thoughts. Like they don't have principles office kind of mindset. Like that's one for me. Like if I'm not careful, if, if, a, if a phone call comes or a friend says, Hey, can we talk real quick? I immediately go to the worst. It's like a principal's office. You got called down in eighth grade and you go, John Acuff to the principal's office. You don't go, man, maybe I won an award. Like you go, what did I do? What did I do? And so even as an adult, I'm going, and I don't want principal's office theory where like the first thing when something happens, I think the worst. Can I teach my brain to think better? So like, and it's gradual. So I'll give you an example. Earl Nightingale like did some book in like the 40s that I'm listening to. Um, and he said on there, 
instead of saying a problem, say a project, call it a project. And that hit me so hard because I don't like when people say, instead of saying a problem, say an opportunity, the gap between those two things is too far too for me much. to mentally yeah, cross. Too much. I can't like, it's like it. yeah. oh man, I got punched in the face. What an opportunity to meet a new doctor. What an <laughs> opportunity to wear stitches. Like that feels Pollyanna, sh- syrupy, fake, but project, I can make that mental leap eventually. Like when I get a problem and go, okay, I know how to do projects. I know how to do projects. Okay, cool. Let me do some projects. Let me do some projects. So that's where I'm, I'm learning those things and I'm repeating them and I'm leaning into them. And then the other thing is that Chase, you know this because you've done stuff too. When you're a creative and you start to create, you start to get some results and results are really powerful if you'll let mm-hmm. them be reminders. Let every result be a reminder. That's why a best moment list is really helpful too. It's a list of reminders. We don't remember the things we've accomplished, often because we're driven, we're go-getters, like we've moved on by the next by the time the like it, the dust hasn't even cleared. So for me, like imposter syndrome. Everybody every creative feels imposter syndrome at some point. There's things I feel it on in my life, but it's getting harder for me to feel it about writing because when imposter syndrome goes, dude, you're not a real writer. You're not a real writer. I go, oh, it's so weird because I feel like there's like nine books on the shelf that say John Acuff. And like, this one's from Romania. Like this, like it's in 20 languages. Like what? I I feel like I'm not an imposter. I am a real writer because I have a stack of results. So that's the other thing is like, this is not my original idea. People have said this for centuries probably. Your thoughts turn into actions, your actions turn into results. And it becomes this virtuous circle where like you just keep doing it and keep doing it, and keep doing it. And you go, man, it works. Like it, And you listen to the words you're saying. And so five years ago, Chase, I wouldn't have noticed that I told somebody that only celebrities make a certain amount of money speaking. I wouldn't have noticed that because I wasn't paying attention to my thoughts. I didn't know my thoughts mattered. I didn't know my words mattered. So in the last half decade, I've learned they matter. And so now I'm like, okay, well, if they matter, oh, I noticed that one. Mm, let's workshop that one a little bit. Let's pull the thread. What's really going on there? Why do I think that? What is that costing me to think that? And what would I like to think instead? Like, what if instead I thought, ooh, I love a challenge. I lo- like, I'm gonna, my content, my delivery is going to be so excellent. I'm able to leap the celebrity level. I'm going to go beyond the celebrity level because I figure out how to do the content really well, how to do the delivery really well, or my customer service. I get so good at serving clients. Like I get so good at helping Range Rover, so good at helping Walmart. They can't wait to have me back. I don't have to wait to be famous. Like I get to circle around that. That's so much of a better attitude because I noticed the broken thought. I changed it. It changed my actions. And I think ultimately it'll change my results. I feel like I'm giving you like nine hour answers. Like this this, is amazing though. Feels very rambly to me. This is amazing. I, uh, if I'm just asking questions and you're answering them, we're doing it wrong. You know, this as a podcast host, I really appreciate the longer answers. And you just said circling back. And I'm thinking the thing that I want to circle back on. And I would say maybe the, one of the biggest impressions that the book made on me is the, this idea of guaranteed Mm-hmm. goals. And I have a, um, I would say I have a habit of trying to n- make a habit list for each goal that I have in my life, such that if I did these things, 
I could not fail. And it's difficult to make that list. And in a sense, that's what you're talking about. But you've, I think you've got a lot more, um, you've got a lot more color and context on it. So you mentioned it earlier. I put a pin in it. I made a note about it here on my, mm-hmm. my little notepad. And to me, this is, this is incredibly powerful. So could you go through in a little more detail? What do you mean by guaranteed goals? Because I think that's pretty seductive. Yeah. So, I mean, you figure out things that if you put in the work, the results are just going to happen almost as if they're automatic. So part of it is picking the right goal. So for instance, if somebody, sometimes people say to me, John, I want to hit the New York Times bestsellers list. That's my goal. And I'll say, that's an admirable desire. It's not a great goal because you don't control it. You really don't control it. Like it's a it's a formula. It's it's they keep it very close to the vest. Like you don't necessarily control that. So a better goal would be I want to sell X amount of copies or I want to put this amount of activity into this. That's a better goal. Like I sometimes will tell people, you know, I know I'm going to sell a million copies of my book, like at least a million copies of books. And I didn't come up with that goal 10 years ago. Like that would have been crazy. I hadn't sold, I'd sold two copies. I came up with that in the middle. What do we say? It's a ladder. So I'm in the middle of the ladder and I go, dude, I think I could do this. I've never had a runaway hit. I've never had like, you know, a, a book that sold a million copies, a book that sold 800,000, whatever. But I know mathematically, if I sell roughly X amount of copies every book that comes out and I stay faithful to the craft of writing, it'll be impossible for me not to sell a million books. Like that's going to happen because I know that I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep doing these. So part of it is picking the right thing you're measuring, picking the the right thing you actually control. Um, I give the example in the book of Bose. When I worked at Bose, we had a 12 month to 18 month kind of process for releasing a new product. We were guaranteed a new product at the end of that, of that process. It, now, we didn't say we guarantee this will become the best-selling speaker of all time. You don't control that. You control you know, your part of it. So a big part of it is saying, okay, which of these things do I control? Which of these things can I actually measure? Which of these things do I have some evidence? And you don't start with a guaranteed goal. Like you're learning the entire ladder. Like by the time you get up to that middle, you're already so much smarter. I always tell people, like, especially like your September self is smarter than your January self. Like when people make their goal, like it's funny, we make these big goals in January with the least amount of information we have about the year. And we feel like we can't change them. We give college students the permission to change their majors, but as adults, we, we remove that permission from ourselves. So what if you said, okay, I'm going to try some easy goals and I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn, I'm going to try some middle goals. I'm going to keep learning, keep learning. By the time you get up towards the top of the ladder, you can put together a guaranteed goal. I would never tell you the first thing you should start with is you've got to figure out a perfect guaranteed goal, but I would definitely tell you, oh man, I can see where this is headed. You can see where this is headed. Like you got a little bit of goal momentum. Like let's get a guaranteed goal. Let's get some really exciting metrics around this. Let's see what that looks like. Where I, again, I know that if I run one to two, three miles, you know, every couple of days, at the end of the year, I've run 450 miles. That's not because I was extraordinary. It's because some beats none. And I, I'm willing to put a mile down if that's what I had time for today. And if I do that faithfully over time, like that's going to work. I always say like compound compounding is either a curse or a blessing. 
it's a curse if it's things that you weren't paying attention to that compounded in a way you didn't you didn't see coming. It's a blessing if it's things you've been deliberate about. And there's comp like like Chase, I can look at the way you live your life and see compounding relationships. Like there have been relationships you've poured into consistently that have compounded over the years. And I can go, man, I, I could have seen that in 2011. We went out to dinner. You made everybody sit with somebody, sit next to somebody they didn't know because you wanted new conversations, new relationships to spark. So now, oh my gosh, it's 12 years later. That's crazy. 12 crazy. years later that you're having these conversations and you're 14 years into this, like, that's not a surprise to me. That's a guarantee. Like I, I could have guaranteed in 2011, like Chase is going to have rich, fulfilling friendships based on the things I'm seeing him do because like, and it wasn't, that wasn't a challenging goal for you. That was an easy goal for you to go, Hey, everybody switch it up. Like Lewis, I want you sitting next to Jeremy Coward. John, I want you down at this end of the table. Like I could have predicted, I could have guaranteed you'd have rich friendships 12 years later. And it wasn't because I was smart. It was because I was like, oh man, he's on that ladder. Cool. I know where that ladder leads. Awesome. Beautiful. It's important that for me and sharing your latest work with our, our listeners today, I'm going to say it again. All it takes is a goal, the three-step plan to ditch regret and tap into your massive potential. I'm looking for a bow. And the bow that I want to put on our conversation is something that was incredibly surprising to you during your journey. Because one of the things I found is when listeners get, you know, most people, if, they, if, they, if an episode resonates with them, they're going to listen to it a couple times. They're mm -hmm. taking notes. This is the way that I devour podcasts. Like I will sit down and listen to podcasts, take notes, organize my notes and say, okay, great. And I'm hoping that you can share with us. One of the, my favorite things is when I discovered the thing that I did not expect of the, out of the research, out of the podcast, out of the, out of the, um, just my preparation for the thing that I wanted to set out to do. So in this field of research in goal setting and in, in specifically your writing of this book, what surprised you the most and what, what advice can you give us from this? I mean, what, be wary. I, I don't, I don't like most best. I don't like superlative things. So just something okay, that you did so, not expect to find that was just staring at you in plain sight and you couldn't unsee it once you'd seen it. Well, I mean, for me, it, it probably was, there's, there's two things I think about. One was the best moments list. Um, I felt like that was a eureka moment of, I couldn't get that into other people's hands fast enough. Like I couldn't get that because I had seen what it did to me and I couldn't get that tool into people's hands fast enough because it was so counterintuitive. I felt like, like, so the way I would think about your question is what's an idea you felt like you shepherded, you didn't create. I feel like I'm shepherding that idea. Like, oh man, I get to be the shepherd of that idea. That's really fun. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and this is kind of, I had this moment reacting to some Mel Robbins content. Mel Robbins has this really viral clip where she says, no one is showing up. No one is showing up. Like she does this really, and it's such a perfect Mel, and she endorsed the book, which is so kind of Yeah, her. I was just going to say, you got yeah. a great blurb from yeah. her about the best goal book. Yeah. Going. 
so she has this really great clip about no one showing up. You got to do your work. It's a, but, but where it hit me was the flip. My brain flipped it and said, no one is showing up to stop you either. Like no one, when you dare to step into your potential, you'll be amazed how few people are actually trying to stop you. So like no one, like no one's stopping you from writing a book. No one's stopping you from figuring this out, from leaning into this. And so I had in my own life, this big, massive crowd of people I thought were trying to stop me. And then when I was a little bit brave, I was like, man, nobody, nobody's stopping me. And then I was like a little bit braver. And I was like, yeah, nobody's stopping me. And I felt like I just, I just kept going and I just kept going and I just kept going. And it was like, oh man, I can actually do this. Like I can actually figure this out and I have permission to do this. So that was like something that was really simple, but for me, really, really helped. And then the third, cause you only asked for one, but I love lists. Um, <laughs> I love it too. The third is that like things you put time toward get better. Everything you feed time gets better. And so when I saw time as a metric and I saw it as again, like a piece of firewood I could throw into a furnace and the furnace got hotter and got brighter. Like it really made me go, okay, where's my time going? And I'm not a big time management guy. It's not like I have like some crazy system, but it's just like, like I know, I know this week I've put nine hours into thinking. Like I've been really obsessed lately with like having space to think and like, and it looks like in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's listening to something. Sometimes it's reading something. Sometimes it's writing, but I know I'm going to be a better thinker at the end of August because I'm going to put X amount of hours into it. So when you go, man, okay, it's not mysterious. It's just a matter of me going. And if I can, it breaks away the fear too, because if I can get somebody to set a 15 minute timer and work on the thing they're afraid of for just 15 minutes and like it's every iPhone, every iPhone has the timer on it. Like if I can get you to do that, like you go, oh man, I put 50, I'm going to stack up some, I want to do some more of this. So making friends with time and taking all the fear of like, what if somebody doesn't like it? What if my parents criticize it? What if like, and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like I just, let's find 15 minutes. Like what would happen in 15 minutes? And then the cool thing is, I put this in the book, in the state of Tennessee where I live, as a parent, you have to teach your kid 50 hours of driving. I have to drive with my kids 50 hours and sign a piece of paper that I did. And then they're allowed to drive a car 70 miles an hour down the highway, a 3000 pound car, like in 50 hours. So you go, man, I found that 15. And then what if I, like, what if you did something for 50 hours over the next X amount of time and you go, I guarantee you'll be better at it than you were at the beginning of it. And it won't be that, it won't be that hard because it's just finding half an hour, finding 15 minutes, finding 20 minutes, finding 30 minutes. And the last, like my example of that, which I put in the book, I found 30 minutes at the beginning of every flight that I had missed for the first 46 years of my life. So I fly a bunch. You've been on a lot of planes. I one day decided, I wonder how long it takes me to take off from when I sit down in the seat to when I actually take off. And I, I timed like a couple dozen flights and the average was like 30 minutes. And so I realized, man, if I fly a hundred times a year, I just found 50 hours. And so if I like, if I know that going ahead of time and I go, here's the book I'm going to read, here's the thing I'm going to work on, like versus just letting that time evaporate. Like I say, time is our most valuable resource, but it's also our most vulnerable. Time is our most vulnerable resource because it only knows how to flow. Time can't protect itself. 
So once you realize that, you're like, oh, I got to protect it. That's where. So yeah, that was again. This is a great way to wrap up. Put a bow. It was like seven bows. That was party city. <laughs> I just party. I just party cityed your bow. Yeah, I love um, a good yeah, party, John. Yeah, you know that. So I just like totally etsied your bow. Like here's every <laughs> bow that's ever been. But I love talking to you. I love this topic, and I feel like your audience is my people. Your people are the, the people I'm trying to be. So it's fun uh, to talk. Hey, if you are out there listening to this show and you are one of the 4% of people who believe that they're living up to their potential, you can hang up now. You can go home. That's Good funny. job. Patting you on the yeah. back. If you are in the 96 other percent that believe potentially, I would say probably rightly that you're not living up to your potential, I have to say go check out John's book. It's fantastic. Pay attention to John. As I said in the intro, um, we've met uh, more than a decade ago, it has been an absolute treat to follow you and your career. I'll have you on the podcast anytime. You've got new work to share. It's a treat. I need to get out and see you speak again sometime soon. Um, so entertaining, so good at what you do. Thank you for creating this book. Thank you for being mm -hmm. part of our community and sharing everything you had to share with us today. So really genuinely appreciate you. Uh, you're going to steer us somewhere else beside the book, like johnacuff.com. Yep. Johnacuff.com, J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F.com. And then I have a podcast called All It Takes a Goal, where I interview people about the goals they're working on. So uh, you can check out both of those. And then I read the audiobook and we put 10 bonus stories in the audiobook. So it's super fun, super fast. Um, available everywhere books are sold. Hey, he does his own stunts, folks. Let's that's right. That. That's right. Yeah. This body is, I, I'm out there. I'm on the streets. As a creative, you got to do your own stuff. That's right. Uh, from John, myself, me in the studio here, John, somewhere in probably Nashville, Tennessee, but who knows. Yep. Uh, signing off until next time, we both bid you a great rest of your day. <laughs>